You're listening to the Jets Nation Podcast. Hey, I'm Cody Bueller, joined by my brother Kyle. Today on the podcast, we're going to look at the play of the Jets over the last couple of games, specifically Patrick Laine. We're going to talk about the All-Star break, the upcoming trade deadline, and some trades that have already been made. Plus, we're going to look at the Jets' power play in more detail. All right, for segment number one, uh, we're taking a look at the last couple of Jets games. There's only been two since our last podcast, uh, two since their extended break and the All-Star break. Uh, Kyle, did you get a chance to watch both? I personally like the early starts beginning at 6 o'clock because I get home early from work. I start early in the day, go to bed early. I prefer that over a 7 o'clock, but did you get a watch? Uh, I did. I'm the exact opposite. Um, I'm actually commuting for about an hour each way um, to and from work these days. Uh, so the 6 o'clock start is, start is bad because by the time I get off work at 5, I don't get home usually to about quarter after 6, 20 after, depending on what I'm doing. I actually miss the first part of each one of these games just because of that. Listen to a little bit on the radio, but it's not quite the same as watching it. Um, so I actually perf- prefer the 7 o'clock start. Even uh, the late night starts on the West Coast are a little bit too late. Oh, but, I barely uh, get to watch the first period. Yeah, but I like those uh, nice 7 p.m. like we see in uh, Central Time. Okay, so as much as we like talking about the time games are starting, people don't really care about that. They want to hear our analysis. Maybe they don't even want to hear that, but we're going to give it to them anyway. Uh, your thoughts on the uh, first game against Philly? Yeah, so th- these last two games uh, against Philly and Boston are interesting. The Philly game, the Jets did not play great. I don't think they played really well at all. Um, That's a game that can kind of go either way depending on bounces, essentially, because both teams are coming off of a long break. You never really know what's going to happen with seven or eight days in a row off, especially when both teams did that. Um, The Winnipeg Jets came out and played really well in the first period and and thought that all of a sudden they might be able to get a few goals and run away with it, similar to they did the first time they played Philly. Um, Well, Philly played really well the first time they played against each other in the first period. This time it was the Jets with a good first period, but couldn't really score. And then it was all Philly after that, uh, running away with the shot totals, running away with the goal totals, running away with essentially everything from the first period on. And the Jets did not look good at all in the second and third period. Yeah, I don't know if you want to call it just kind of after the All-Star break, but both teams are kind of in the exact same situation. So you can't really blame it on that. Uh, When you take a look at the last couple of Jets games, I haven't really been impressed Uh, with their play, and when we talk about the Bruins game last night, that one's obviously the most fresh in my mind. Uh, That line of Bergeron, Pasternak, and Marchand, it seemed like the Jets had no answer. didn't matter who was on the ice against them. That line just looked so good. And then for the Jets, it was really uh, the top two lines that were doing most of the work. And I say top two, meaning Shifley's line and Lowry's line, because Line's line was nailed to the bench for that game, and especially in that second period. In total, that line of Little, Line A, and Rozovic, 6 minutes and 21 seconds, the lowest out of the four lines. Yeah, and you could see that because Line A just sat there for a very extended period of time. I think Line A only had two minutes and 30-some seconds of ice time in the second period, uh, just not getting any shifts at all because they were getting continually hemmed in. The line was not good at all, in, and, in any metric. And that's from the eye test, that's from the advanced stats, uh, their Corsi 4 percentage for the game, 25%. That is terrible. Because looking at the actual numbers, they had three shot attempts for, and they had nine shot attempts against when they were on the ice together. They were on the ice for that first goal against. That line was also on the ice for all three of the goals that the 
uh, Philadelphia Flyers scored in the previous game the previous night. So Maurice, by the time he gets to the second period, he is tired of it. He has seen enough. So he benches that line and basically gives them just very much reduced minutes. Do you have a problem with that? One of your best players, it's a close game. One of your best players, I use air quotes because he wasn't playing like it, on the bench. Well, this is interesting, and we can maybe do a deep dive about this yet. We'll see if we get into this or not. Um, But being a a former coach at some very low-level, high-school-level sports myself, you have to take a situation like this differently with each player. And what I mean by that is every single player reacts differently to try to get them fired up and back on track. I've seen players in my own experience that I've coached that they're just not playing well for whatever reason. Maybe it's something going on in their mind. Maybe they're sore from something else. Who knows what it is? They're just having an off night. How do you get them motivated? How do you get them back on track? For some guys, it it, it takes sitting on the bench. Kind of the wake-up call. Wait, I, I need to wake up. I need to get going. For some guys... Maybe they need to be spoken to. Maybe they need to have some some verbal, a little bit of get-their-button-gear sort of thing. Some guys, you don't want to do any of that. Some guys, you want to let just play through it because they will get through it on their own. Every single player is totally different, and that's one of the things that I don't know Patrick Line personally. Paul Maurice has a way better relationship with Line than I do. So to for me to say that's not the right move... I can't distinguish that because I don't know who he is. If I'm coaching a player, I know that player better than most of the fans do. I think it's the coach's job to realize what needs to be done and do it based on the individual player. And if obviously Paul Maurice thinks benching Patrick Laine will be the best wake-up call for him and get him back on track the fastest, and, and that's what he did. Yeah, and so I'm right there with you. And then the other side of things is, too, what's best for the team at the moment because obviously the whole goal is winning games. And if Line and that line are not playing well, and I'm not going to put this all on Line, it's definitely Little and Rozovic as well. These guys were turning pucks over. I saw them, they couldn't get out of their zone, turning pucks over in the neutral zone. They just couldn't get anything going. That's eye test. The stats back it up. And so when other lines are playing better, you want those guys on the ice. And there wasn't stellar numbers for the Winnipeg Jets' forward lines. They were struggling at times as well. Even Shifley, Connor, and Wheeler, their Corsi 4 percentage was 43%, almost 44%. And so that's not amazing either. It's, you want to be above 50. and But th- that's still better, th- way better than the Line A line. Plus, when you look at the competition, the Shifley, Connor, Wheeler line is going up against the Pasternak line uh, with Marchand and Bergeron. So they're playing very elite, probably one of the best lines in the NHL. And so their percentage isn't great. The Corsi 4 percentage uh, for Tanev, Lowry, and Perot was below 50 as well. Basically, the entire team's getting outshot. Which lines are the worst? Well, Rozovic, Little, Line, they were at 25%. Lemieux, Kopp, and Appleton, they were at 23%. But again, uh, they didn't get a lot of ice time either. They started to get a little bit more as the game went along. But it was one of those things where it was kind of turned into a two-line team for a part of the game. Yeah, and now going forward, so the Winnipeg Jets still ended up winning the game. And that's kind of lost in all this. They played bad, but they won against Boston. But my question is, going forward, how do you get these guys playing better? Because the team is not playing well. And it's there's been inklings going on all season of maybe the team isn't firing on all cylinders. We kind of guessed that, but they were still doing okay. Now it's very clear they are not playing well. 
two straight games out of the break. Yeah, it's a back-to-back on the road. Tough situation. They still didn't play well at all. And now you have some of these individuals, a guy like Jack Rozovic, I think scored his first goal in 26 games against Philadelphia. Patrick Laine scored three goals in the last two months or, or, or something to that effect. You have all these guys not playing well. Shifley and Wheeler have really struggled in the past couple of weeks compared to the start of their season. What do you do to get these guys back on track? Do you hope they just find it? Do you start mixing up the lines? There was a rumor there was going to be a forward change potentially. Um, Paul Maurice mentioned something about that. Sherratt's back in the lineup. Um, people thought Patan might be coming in. Ehlers could be back in a week or two. Bufflin's coming back. There's all these moving parts going on at once. But the fact remains the Winnipeg Jets are not currently playing well and not well enough to win games. And so now I think this is the time where something can happen and nobody's going to question it as much. If somebody's going to come out of the lineup and Patan's going to come in for this next game, nobody's going to be like, why are they doing this now? They're playing well. Now is the time for Maurice to pull out that magic bullet and get some different combinations in. And I see people always talking about it online, putting lining up with Shifley and Wheeler. Maybe now's finally the time to do it. Maybe you put Patan up in the lineup and get him like fired up saying, look, this is your chance. Finally do something. Like there's a lot of different potential. And then the other thing is though too, maybe now is the time you make a trade. Because if you're still trying to find chemistry and you're trying to figure things out, maybe now's the time you bring in somebody new to help them bring come along and figure something out. If the Jets are going to make a trade and there's been talk about Broussard and Hayes and there's Simmons and, and we don't have time to get all into that this podcast. But if you're going to bring somebody in, maybe now's the time to do that so that you can, while you're mixing up lines anyway, you can kind of throw in that new guy if everything's kind of already jumbled, if that makes any sense. Yeah, and we're going to cover this. We're going to talk a little bit about the Muzzin deal and the Winnipeg Jets missing out on it a little bit later on, but I totally agree. Maybe now is the time for something like that. Uh, specifically about Patrick Laine, which is kind of the what the segment was supposed to be about. He is not playing well currently, so the question remains, what do you do with him? Do you play him up with Shifley and Wheeler? Do you leave him? Do you hope Ehlers can spark him when he comes back? What do you do with a guy like that that's struggling so much do you, does he just need to get away from Brian Little? Is that the issue? What needs to be done with Line a for him to actually produce? And it's tough because I've seen it. He's having a hard time breaking out of his zone. In the attacking zone, he just doesn't, he seems to be fighting the puck. It's just not going his way. He's not making great plays. But again, there's all sorts of combinations of different things that you can do with Line a. Like we said, moving him up to the top line, playing him with different players. I don't necessarily love the idea of him going back with the uh, Lowry line like we saw there for that experiment. I wasn't a big fan of that. Uh, at the time, I thought maybe it could do some good and maybe it did for a little bit. I just don't think that's a long-term solution. Uh, and again, so if the Jets are bringing in a center, I would obviously want to see if he has chemistry with the new player. And then so there still needs to be some things uh, figured out. But again, you're not going to bench him for the whole game. You can't do that. I think obviously there needs to be some behind-the-scenes stuff, some talking to, maybe, I don't know if it's video work or what needs to be done in that regard. Yeah, and the last thing to mention about Line before we wrap up the segment, I thought he's actually been playing well as of late, especially those games before the break against Vegas and Nashville. He had plenty of shots, plenty of chances, just couldn't get one to convert. Uh, he definitely, he rung, rang a few off the post as well. I think he's the, the type of guy that just needs to see the puck go in. 
and, and that will just get him going. That alone will get him going. So maybe for Patrick Liney, you just need a lucky bounce, and he just hasn't got one recently, and maybe that's all it is. You never know with a guy like that. You just hope he finds it as soon as possible for the Winnipeg Jets. I think he needs to come out with one of those statements that says, I'm, I suck at hockey. I'm not very good. Because every time he's done that, he always seems to like pick it up. Or ship him back to Finland for a week. <laughs> yeah, just for like not trading him to a team, but we're talking just, just like for a visit. Cooking. Yeah. Send him on a holiday. He should have done that over the All-Star break. All right, so for segment number two, talking about the All-Star game, some people find it gimmicky, some people enjoy it, some people just take it for what it is. I think that's kind of what we do here on the podcast. We don't expect high-quality hockey. I will say that the All-Star game is more exciting than the Pro Bowl. I watched that. That is terrible football because nobody really tackles, which really takes away from a lot of what football is. And so for hockey, you're still playing. I was watching the three-on-three games. It's still fairly entertaining. And especially when you're cheering for the Central Division, you cheer for the Jets players, and you kind of see some of the fun stuff that's going on around the interviews, get to see the lighter side of the game. I don't mind it. I kind of enjoyed watching that. I only got to see part of the skills competition. Your thoughts on the weekend? Yeah, I I watched uh, bits and pieces here and there. I was actually at a hockey tournament playing as a player all weekend, uh, so I was just catching bits and pieces as I could. Um, I I liked having the coaches being interviewed during the game, during the All-Star game. Did you see the one commentator? They asked, uh, I think it was maybe Scott Oak who asked, uh, so uh, what do you think about putting uh, these three players together? Wouldn't that be exciting? And the coach says, yep, hey, Johnny Hockey, you're going out there with McDavid, and they like just orchestrated. And then they scored. And they did, yeah, immediately. Yeah. It was hilarious. So uh, I like that little uh, banter with Paul Maurice as well. It's always fun having him uh, doing interviews, things like that. Uh, he's just a funny guy. Um, but but it, that side of things is a lot of fun, and I like that. As far as the skills competition goes, um, I didn't see most of it. I caught bits and pieces. I saw some of the highlights. Um, it was pretty much on par with what you'd expect from the NHL, very similar to past years. Uh, maybe the big addition, best, definitely the biggest news was the, the women components showing um, their skills and their speed, specifically their speed, um, doing some of those events as well. Yeah, I thought it was kind of neat to seeing them uh, take part. And we saw, what was it, Brianna Decker also winning uh, the passing competition. But then later on, the NHL, I think, came out and said, no, she didn't actually win, even though some people had kind of timed it that she had. It was kind of just hokey. And then CCM steps up and pays her the twenty five grand, uh, anyways because a lot of people are calling for it online. Uh, but it does show the skill of the women's game right now and some of the best players in the women's game, how they're actually not that far as far as some of the skills are concerned. Yeah, definitely. The women hockey players are just as skilled as the men. And a lot of people won't like me saying that, but it's true. We saw that. Brianna Decker can pass better than anybody in the NHL. She did it. Yeah, it's true. Right? So we have a women skater f- skating faster than half the men in the competition as well. It, it is what it is. It, it happened. You can't argue that. The skill is there in the women's game. That's not really to be debated. Um, a lot of people may be calling for, oh, could a woman play, woman play in the NHL or will we see that in her lifetime? That I'm not so sure about. Who knows? Maybe. Maybe. We Possibly. saw We saw a, a goaltender a number of years ago, Menon Rayom. That's how you say it, right? I'm not not too sure, but I think I know which one you're referencing. Yep. Um, but regardless, the reason why I, I think it probably will not happen is because you need to be better. Sorry, you need to be good at more than one attribute or more than one skill to make the NHL. 
And what I mean by that is during the AHL All-Star Game, during the AHL All-Star Weekend, that sort of thing, um, similar events to the NHL, they have guys blasting slap shots well over 100 miles an hour, yet they're not in the NHL. They have guys skating as fast as Connor McDavid, yet they're also not in the NHL. Well, why not? Because you need to be better at more than one skill just to make the NHL. Just having speed is not enough. Just having a shot is not enough. You need the hockey sense. You need the the passing ability. You need everything all together to make it in the NHL more than just one. And that's why you can see a woman pass like that. Is she as, as skilled at passing as some of the men? Well, yeah, she showed that. But that doesn't mean she can play in the NHL, just like not how every AHL player can play in the NHL. Yeah, and that's probably a good analysis. And we're not saying that these women can never play in the NHL. That's not what we're saying here on the podcast. There's definitely the potential for that. And who knows uh, the way the game is going and it's definitely uh, focusing on skill and speed. Who knows what we could see in the future? And we obviously hope for more continued development. But again, like you said, there's something that also needs to be put in perspective. Well, why isn't she in the NHL? Because of her times, uh, there definitely is the whole uh, player approach. And you, we've seen one-dimensional players players in the NHL, <clears throat> Patrick Laine. Uh, and sometimes if you have one dimension to your game that is extreme and is amazing, yes, you can sometimes make the NHL. And yes, sometimes you can have a very successful career. But again, it's all about balance and having multiple attributes. I, I like to look at Usain Bolt playing soccer. He is the fastest man in the history of the world. Yet he can't even make a pro team in a not very good league in Australia. And he considers himself a pretty good soccer player. Yeah. So is he a good soccer player? Yeah, better than me. Is he fast? Does he do one thing really well? Yes, fastest man alive. That can't be argued. That does not make him a good soccer player just because he's fast, right? So there's all these sorts of things going on as well. To make yourself a good hockey player, you need more than just speed. You need more than just hands. You need everything to make the NHL. Absolutely, because there are so many people trying and there are so few that actually make it. When you look at the amount of teams in the NHL, there's only 31 teams and there's only so many roster spots uh, and there's so many people trying to make it into those roster spots. But again, uh, just taking a look at the All-Star Weekend as a whole, uh, we talked about some tweaks and things we wanted to see beforehand, so we're not going to get into that uh, too much here after the All-Star break. But now, one of the next big things coming up is the trade deadline, and so we're going to briefly touch on that in our final segment. The NHL trade deadline is just a couple of weeks away, February 25th. Kyle, are you going to take that day off work and sit at home and watch the uh, deadline? I think about it every year, and, and I never do. This year, I'm not taking the day off either. I know we've mentioned it before. I have some couple extra holiday days. I'd be tempted. Yeah, maybe next year, but... That's I, what you said last year. I know, I know. But once again, I'm not taking it this year. Um, there's actually less that usually goes on trade deadline day than people expect. And, that's, and, the, that's the unfortunate part. And I think especially this year as well, because the biggest splash happened last week or earlier this week with the Toronto Maple Leafs making a huge deal for Jake Muzzin. See, the thing you got to do is set up two TVs. One TV with the Trade Center on, and you can kind of watch that in the background, and then another TV playing video games, playing NHL 19 all day with Trade Center going on. So you can hit pause, watch the Trade Center when stuff's happening, and then kind of just to tune it out. That's the way to do it in my opinion. But again, like you said, Jake Muzzin going from the Kings to the Leafs, $4 million a year. He's got one more year left on his deal. And the nice part is for the Leafs, in my opinion, they didn't have to give up a ton for a player who's under contract for two seasons, this and next. They give up uh, Grundstrom, a defensive prospect, and a first-round pick this this year, which will be a late first-round pick based on the, how the Toronto Maple Leafs look. So... 
to me, that's not a huge ask for a pretty solid defenseman. No, definitely not. I think both teams won in the deal. The the Kings got some pieces back that they can definitely use going forward, especially because they're not good. I've heard some things about Grunstrom. I think he'll be okay. Oh, yeah. Especially on a team not as good as Toronto. He could probably push to make the NHL, from what I've been hearing, uh, as well as Dersey, the, the defensive prospect, scoring really, really well uh, in junior right now, uh, a former second-round pick. He's a fairly highly touted prospect, could turn out very good for the Kings as well. And with the first-round pick, you never really know what's going to happen. Uh, another pick, probably between 20 to 30 range, uh, depending on where the Leafs finish, obviously. But you could easily get another very solid player down the road w- with that sort of pick. So great for the Kings to rebuild. Uh, but like you said, it, it doesn't impact Toronto's roster right now. So it's a great deal for them as well because they keep their entire team intact and get to just add a piece going forward. Yeah, and so then all that does is just bump down their defense, which has been suspect. And so for them, the biggest need was defense. And they added that in a player for two years with a good contract. And so now you have a piece for two playoff runs. And so what does that do now for the Winnipeg Jets? And where does that leave our chances going into the deadline? Well, the first thing I want to mention is, could the Winnipeg Jets have got Jake Muzzin? Or what would be the comparable deal? Well, a first-round pick is obvious. A first-round pick is very similar between the two because who's going to finish first out of the Jets and Leafs? It's probably going to be a toss-up, right? Yeah, pick your... It doesn't matter. So so a first-round pick is a first-round pick. doesn't matter. Um, Looking further on down the road, a lot of people said... The Winnipeg Jets should offer a first and Stanley or a first and anybody not named Veselainen to offer the Kings. Offer those two pieces. Most people figured that could probably get it done. We see the Leafs having to give up two prospects. So let's compare it. So they gave up a young defensive prospect, and so the Jets would have to give up Stanley, let's say. The Honestly, the most closest comparison is not Logan Stanley. He's already a little bit older. Dylan Sandberg is probably the closest comparison. Uh, They were drafted, I think, within six spots of each other in that same draft. Um, Dylan Sandberg, just a little bit older with their birthdays and whatnot. Um, But Sandberg, maybe not quite as offensive defenseman, but still a, a pretty good pick um, playing for the U.S. the last couple of World Juniors. Sandberg, yeah, Sandberg has a high trajectory. He, he looks good. So Sandberg's probably the closest comparison we have uh, to Dersey anyways. Uh, as far as Grundstrom is concerned, I, I liken him to a guy like Mason Appleton. Appleton, once again, a little bit older, but has a, and also scores a little bit more in the AHL last season with the Moose. Um, Appleton, I think at 22 goals and 44 assists last year with the Moose. Grundstrom not quite on that pace this year with the Marlies, um, but still scoring pretty well and is a couple of years younger than Appleton was when he was in the AHL. So would you have done that then? Would you have done Sandberg, Appleton, and a first for Muzzin? Uh, that's tough. That's a lot to give up all of a sudden when you put it in those terms, right? Absolutely. You give up a good defensive prospect. Just because they're prospects on Toronto, we don't know who they are. It's not quite the same. It's like so when you and I, I did hear that it was two of Toronto's top five prospects overall that are being dealt. So if you take two of your top five prospects away from Winnipeg, once again that leaves you pretty thin going forward. You could argue the Jets are already a little bit thin going forward in the next two, three, four years. That, that's a t- that's a tough thing. I think that's a lot to give up for a guy like Jake Muzzin. But if you really need the defense, like Winnipeg did, I think that's a deal you should have pulled. If you're Kevin Sheveldayoff. But again, it's which players do the Kings want. Just because you would like to offer it doesn't mean the other team's obviously going to accept it. And so now... Maybe Sheveldayoff did offer. Yeah, and we don't know. 
And so the, those are always the mysteries. And sometimes you hear later about which deals fell through and which ones never were offered and things like that. And so maybe we'll find out in years down the road. But when you take a look at who's left out there, should I, he, Muzzin was kind of the piece. He was in his prime, the good contract, the good term. Basically, he had everything going for him of what you would want in a defenseman. Can play big minutes, can play in the middle of the defensive pairings. Who do the Jets go after? Do they still go after a defense? And the thing is always, how much of is it is it an upgrade on what you have compared to uh, what you're giving up? And so like when you talk about getting rid of uh, Appleton and Sandberg, yes, you're getting Muzzin, but how much better is he than whoever he bumps out of the lineup? Whether it's Morrow or Sherratt or probably Niku, how much better is he? That's really the question. So now, I don't know if the Jets are still going to target a defenseman. Maybe they'll add somebody like Morrow at the deadline like they did last year. Well, the problem with that is that there's nobody to add. Right, because if not you look at the left-handed defensemen specifically, pretty much the only guys on TSN's trade bait board are Alex Edler, who is, I believe, 32 years old. Still could be reasonable, but is he better than Sherratt and Morrow? Considerably? Likely not. Maybe a little bit. I would bit. say a little bit. A little bit. Not tons, but a little bit. Um, and then the other names on the list are Nicholas Cronwall and Jay Bomeister. Both those guys are approaching their mid to late 30s. Cronwall, I think, is 38. Bomeister, 35. Are they an upgrade at all over Ben Sherratt? Wasn't Bomeister actually benched earlier this yeah, year on he, he's St. Been, Louis? He's been benched in and out of the lineup. Cronwall, he's 38 years old. He's not quite like what he used to be. Cronwall 10 years ago, great player. Cronwall now, not so much. Is he better than Ben Sherratt? I don't know. So now you have all of a sudden... The left-handed D trade bait board is really thin. But again, the trade bait board is just rumors and conjecture, which is basically but, what but we're doing right why, now. The reason why I do that is because to get a left-handed defenseman, you want a guy on an expiring contract, likely, because of the cap crunch. And that's what TSN kind of uses for their projections. Generally, they use teams that are selling. The only thing is if a team all of a sudden starts losing now and becomes a seller in the next couple of weeks, similar to St. Louis last year, you could pick up a guy that nobody's expecting. Yeah, I think if there's going to be help coming, and I think there's probably going to be some move done by the Jets, I think it's going to be forward-wise. And it's. I, I guess we'll just have to wait and see what happens. And it, we'll probably get into more on this as we move forward. And we're not going to get into it too much right now. Uh, do we want to quickly look at the power play or do we have to wrap things up for today? Uh, we can quickly look at the power play and uh, one other thing to mention right at the end of the show. Okay, so we lied earlier. This last segment wasn't our final one. We have one more quick little segment to wrap things up. Uh, we quickly wanted to touch on the power play for the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, it's really cooled off as of late. Uh, earlier on in this season, it was touted as one of the best in the league. Uh, are teams just figuring the Jets out? I think that's part of it. You could definitely say that by looking at it. When you're watching the Jets power play, Line is not getting his shot off as often as he would like. The cross-seam passes are not as easily. I can't remember the last time Shifley scored on a on a play down from... Remember how the Jets used to work it from Wheeler down to Connor up to Shifley? That little 1-2 back-of-the-net pass? That hasn't happened in, in months, it seems. That they're not getting the same movement on it, they're not getting the same puck-passing ability, whatever it is, it seems that teams have kind of figured out how to defend it. 
for the Winnipeg Jets. Because when we saw it, it was kind of new this season, this setup with Wheeler on the wall, and really the power play is captained from the sideboards. Because a lot of power plays, and traditionally it's always been kind of an umbrella, three kind of around the top, you kind of work it around, you get some guys in front, and you hammer it home. But now with the passing from the side, it was new at the beginning, Teams are taking away the Shifley option in the middle, and I feel that when they take away the Shifley option, it also takes away the long pass across to line A, and so we're not seeing that as much either. And so I don't know if they need to figure out something new, whether they need to do something different in that same system. I'd like to see just a few more shots from the point and tipping like we saw with Roslevic's goal, kind of go back to that a little bit and then maybe shake it up from game to game or even from power play to power play. But Bufflin returning would obviously help that to a degree. Yeah, I totally agree because right now guys can overcommit on line A because Bufflin's not there. And Josh Morrissey shooting does not strike fear in your heart like Dustin Bufflin does. And same with Jacob Truba. It's just not the same. So you have the Wheeler to Bufflin pass as a one-timer. Bufflin's hammering that over 100 miles an hour. Not quite as dangerous when it's Josh Morrissey. Josh Morrissey the other hand, so the one-timer is not even available from Wheeler to Morrissey. So the, the, the penalty killer can sag off even more towards line A because they know if it's going to Morrissey, he has to stop it, turn his body, and then shoot. And that's one of the issues going forward. Bufflin will definitely help when he comes back. One thing I'm potentially looking for, Wheeler should keep shooting like he has been a little bit more lately. Line A needs to move a little bit more back and forth, kind of work those soft spots of the zone because the guys are getting their sticks in the way easily. Like you said, Shifley and Line A, line up in a in a straight line, essentially. And if Shifley's not there, line A isn't either. So line A needs to either move up to find that lane or move down, almost more of a back door, to give Wheeler more of those options. Is there anything else you wanted to add? I know you had one last thing you wanted to mention. Uh, the last topic I want to mention, a little bit different topic, um, officially announced that the Winnipeg Ice are now a thing for the WHL. Uh, we knew this for months already. It's no real secret, but officially, uh, formally announcing it, I believe yesterday, uh, that the Kootenai Ice are becoming the Winnipeg Ice as of next season. I'm excited for that. I like the WHL. I love junior hockey. I think having another option is great. I'm interested to see who it's going to affect the most. And are moose tickets going to drop? Maybe the prices will come down for the Manitoba moose. I went to a moose game, or I was going to go to a moose game the other day, and the prices actually kind of surprised me. I used to think they were, I think they used to be around 20 bucks, right? They were a little bit cheaper. And I was like, ah, for 20 bucks, you can go out with the family. I priced it out the other day, and the lower bowl was about 40, about 40 bucks per ticket. So then if I wanted to take my kids, I'm looking at over 100 bucks, which isn't ridiculous, but that's still enough for an afternoon hockey game. And so now with the ice coming in, what are the ticket prices going to be like? I would imagine less. Obviously, have to be less than the moose. The Wheat Kings, I know, are around 20 bucks, I think just over. And so you're probably going to look at that $22, $23 range for this new team. Plus, once they get this new facility built, it should be really nice. I think that's going to be a draw. Uh, I think it's going to hurt the moose the most because the moose you see still families, young kids, this new WHL team, you're going to get kind of that same market to a degree. And I think you're going to kind of take away some from the moose. Yeah, I totally agree with you. People are wondering if the moose might be leaving down the road. I heard that rumor too. Maybe somewhere in Saskatchewan. Maybe I heard Thunder Bay. Even. Somewhere in Thunder Bay. Maybe North Dakota somewhere. Put them in Fargo. Whatever it is, you want them close just for ease of access. But I wouldn't be hurt if the moose had to leave just because of this. I mean, I like the moose as much as the next guy. But I don't know if Winnipeg can support. Like you said, something's got to give. 
I don't know if, if Winnipeg as a city can support all this. Uh, the thing I was talking about as well, maybe it's not the same crowd, but Valor FC starting in a couple of years as well with a soccer team. I think that's actually this year. Or this year. If you're a Winnipeg sports fan, I know uh, season tickets went on sale earlier this year, um, late last year for that. But if you're a Winnipeg sports fan and you want to take in as much as possible, you're going to be extremely strapped for cash with all these things going on. Yeah, sometimes it's the money. And like obviously, like corporate sponsors, they only have certain money sometimes to give out for that kind of thing. But the other thing is, too, time. If they're all playing on the same night or even back-to-back situations, which ones are you going to? The Jets obviously come number one in the city. This isn't going to hurt the Jets, not even in the least. But with Jets number one, what then comes number two? And I was even talking to somebody in Selkirk the other night for a Steelers game. They noticed when Jets games are even on TV because people are, I'll just stay home and watch the Jets game opposed to going out to the rink watching the Junior A team in Selkirk. Or going into the city because in Selkirk's so close. I know the NHL has hurt some Junior A teams a little bit to a degree just because, again, when you're playing 42 games at home and there's... 30 Junior A games at home, there's going to be a lot of conflict, and you're not going to be at the rink every single night. And so, just with that many more options, I don't know, you're right, something's got to give to a degree. Uh, I I don't think Junior A is going to be affected because nobody goes into Winnipeg Blues games anyway. Terriers fans aren't going to really go into Winnipeg. I think it might hurt a few Steinbeck fans. I think Steinbeck fans might go in for that. I think it's going to hurt the Moose. I think there's definitely a market I, in the I south end of the city. I think it might hurt the Wheat Kings a little bit as well. People, How? Come, people coming from nobody drives from Brandon to Winnipeg. No, but everybody who lives along the number one highway, everybody who lives who loves junior hockey, right. in Manitoba drives to Brandon to see the Wheat Kings. I know plenty of people from the area of Portage, plenty of people from Winnipeg area. If you want to see Major Junior, where do you go? You drive to Brandon. It's true. So now you pick everybody within a two-hour radius of Winnipeg not going to Brandon. I'm sure they're going to see a little bit of a dip in that as well. I think a little bit of a dip. And you're really, I think, only catching those people in Portage. Because I don't know how many Winnipeg people were driving out on a consistent basis to see the Wheat Kings. No, but but if there was any, I don't think there will right, be Right, not now. anymore, no. But, and I think, you, I think Portage is kind of the border because it's kind of, not halfway, but... Portage fans will no longer go to Brandon to see the Wheat Kings. They'll just go to Winnipeg to see the ice. But anybody west, I think, will still go to Brandon for the smaller atmosphere. Again, we're, we'll have to wait and see. And I guess another option I don't think is a bad thing, in my opinion. So that pretty much does it for the podcast today. We covered all sorts of different topics. If you've got anything you want us to debate or discuss, hit us up at Jets End Podcast. Find all of the Jets Nation podcasts at JetsNation.ca.